Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Responsive Design Weekly Podcast, a podcast all about responsive design. My name is Justin Avery and I am your host and curator of the Responsive Design Weekly Newsletter. Again, a newsletter kind of all about responsive design. Now this week is an exciting week because it is a week that we have a special guest and it's the first time... I've had a guest for 2017 and actually for a few months as well. So fortunately, you're probably sick of hearing my voice and we get to hear another voice, which is good, and another opinion and some more interesting stuff, which is awesome. Um, But before I get to introducing our guest, a quick mention at the top of the show for our two sponsors this week is SVG Summit and ImageCon, and I have some discounts for them that you can get cheap tickets to go and check them out, but we'll mention them a little bit further on in the show. So to kick things off, I would like to welcome the guest this week. She is a web and graphic designer, a geeky pixel and UI lover, a coffee addict, and designs user experience on mobile and web apps. Welcome, Stephanie Walter. Hello. How are you? Fine, thank you. And you? I am fine and dandy. It's a a nice early in the evening for us. Yeah, it is. It's quite difficult. Sometimes when I started this, I used to do it from Australia. So anyone that I would speak to over in Europe, the time difference was just, it was too much. It was either like 3 a.m. in the morning for me or it was crazy early uh, in the morning for them as well. So it's good that we're only an hour apart. Yeah, almost on the t- same time zone. I know, so close, so close. I should Really, I should have traveled. I could have got the Eurostar straight across and we could have done it at the uh, the same time zone. So easy to get around. It's not like Australia. Um, but welcome and thank you for joining us all the way uh, from it's France. Are you based at the moment? Uh, Luxembourg at the moment. Luxembourg. Well, that's very cool. Well, actually, um, for those that aren't uh, okay with uh, yourself and uh, what you do online, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of how you got into the web and your journey up until this point? Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit complicated because I've studied languages, so German and English. I'm French. Um, Then I've studied um, languages and web design, which is kind of a really strange and weird mix, but quite interesting as well. And I started as kind of a product designer for a company in Germany. Then I got sick of uh, working on products, so I went back to France to work for a web agency, and then I got tired of clients, so (laughs) I'm now um, currently working as a UX designer for the University of Luxembourg, so I'm again back on working on products, which is kind of really, really, really fun. Um, I've only started two months ago. But it's really, really different to come from the web agency world and arriving into a university. <laughs> and the, are things happen a lot faster at the university or a hell of a lot slower? A hell of a lot slower. Like, what's the deadline for this? Um, 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Last time, it was like, we've got a really long deadline. It was like six months. I was like, this is in almost three years. Okay. So do you have a preference, like working client side or agency side, now that you've dibble-dabbled back and forth? 
I think it really depends. I was kind of frustrated into the agency to be this kind of small subcontractor. Basically, you would not be able to do all the user research you wanted to do if you were even able to do some at all. Um, you would like produce wireframes, mockups, and be able to ship something. And then the something you've shipped goes to the client side and you never see it again. So a few months later, maybe the website is online, maybe not. Maybe they've changed a lot of things. So you're not really proud of what you've been able to accomplish anymore. So that was the really frustrating part. So I'm pretty glad to be able now to focus on a product focus on some small parts of design things and being also able to focus more on user experience because of, this is basically the, the team I'm working with. It's the it's the HCI team, so human-computer interaction team. And I'm the only like visual UI designer. They're all, they're all UX researchers, like real researchers, scientific ones wow. with PhDs. <laughs> which is kind of really fun because I'm going to be able to learn a lot from them and they are going to also learn some things from me. So it's going to be a win-win, I guess. That's really cool. So I, I know yeah. you've only been there for a little while, but how, how do you implement your, kind of, your UI designs and get that UX feedback from the business? Um, well, at the university for the moment, we are really working on uh, space design, which is also something really new for me. We are basically trying to create those uh, learning spaces, collaborative learning spaces for students. So I'm currently working with the teachers. I'm doing uh, teacher workshops and stuff like that to try to understand a little bit better how do human beings, teachers and students collaborate. So there's a lot of UX research going on at the moment. And after that, we are going to build things. The same for another product. We are going to try to do a design sprint. Like, the, yeah. the I think the Google Google did that. I'm not, I don't think it's like Google didn't invent it, but they wrote a book about that. So it became really popular a few years ago. And we are going to try to do that as well for another product we are currently working on. That's really cool. And when you're looking at you talking about um, working on space design and collaborating uh, learning spaces for students and teachers and and how humans collaborate, are you looking at how people are collaborating online and making that better? Or are you looking at how people collaborate just in general and seeing if you can digitize that? That's actually a big part of what we are currently doing because there are a lot of students that are not in the university, like physically. So the idea is to be able to build those spaces so that people that are working that are currently into the university can also work with people from United States and every other country around the world. So yes, this is a huge thing. So we are trying to like do a lot with tablets and connected devices. We are going to test some beamers and stuff like that. So a lot of really, really high-tech things, but also a lot of like low, we, we call those low-tech, like paperboard and things you put into a room to help people find ideas, sticker notes, post-it notes, crazy items to, I don't know, enhance creativity and stuff like that. So... We are really trying to work on both sides. 
That's cool. It sounds like a fun project. Yeah, it is actually. I'm pretty. I'm really lucky. I just like jumped right in and arrived at the right time, I guess. And is it something? So, as a as a UX designer in there, and I suppose a UI designer as well, is it is it something which you've sort of worked towards over your career? Like, did you start off more on the design side of things in Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff, or were you always kind of building? I really, I actually started a lot of like um, what you would call those days front-end developer, but I didn't do JavaScript. I was only doing HTML and CSS, and I was doing the whole design in the browser thing. Oh, wow. So basically, I would design directly things uh, using HTML and CSS. I'm still doing that a lot, so I've learned Photoshop when I was really young. I think I learned Photoshop 7, something like that, <laughs> which sounds like ages ago, oh, no, before, right. before all the creative cloud madness. Um, I also, I've always, um, I've also always having this really huge uh, paper process. So uh, I, I still do that a lot. We still are using like paper prototypes, things like that. So I was always kind of a mixed unicorn between a little bit of coding, a little bit of designing into softwares and a lot of paper things like designing directly, sketching ideas, sketching things really, really quickly to get many ideas to be able to pick one of those. And, and then move forward with it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so when you you studied language originally and you were saying you did um, French, German, English, uh, was there one more? Not that there uh, needs to be. Like, that's, already, that's already two more than I can speak. Oh, you really want me to talk about my childhood? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just interested because uh, your, your website is also in, in two languages. So you've got a French version and an English version of the site as well. And it was just, just really around like um, I sometimes work on uh, internationalized sites um, so ones that need German and French and Spanish versions and, and English versions. I'm just wondering, like, the have you found it easier having a better understanding and background in uh, speaking the different languages to articulate designs across different languages as well? Uh, actually, uh, it's a kind of complicated. I come from Alsace, which is a small region when the local language is kind of an old version of German. So the first language I learned isn't, wasn't French, actually, it was Alsatian. And they had actually to tell me that I needed to speak French with other children if they wanted them to be able to understand me. <laughs> so I was kind of bilingual since I was born because my parents would talk to me in Alsatian and people around a little bit of French. And it's still really, really weird for my friends because when my parents are talking to me in Alsatian, I kind of don't, I don't get that they are not talking French to me. So I get it when my friends are looking to me into a really weird way. I was like, okay, I need to translate what my parents just told me so that you can understand. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, I think it's really interesting to be able to speak a lot of languages looks like once you've been able to learn i don't know one or two the other ones are really really getting easier 
they come quite quickly. But have you found yeah, that when quickly. when building or designing for the web or or mobile that there's been a vast difference between what you've had to design and and put out across the different languages? Or? Yeah, actually, I was really really proud of my really nice uh, tabs navigation in English, and they the clients came back and told me, yeah, the website is going to be translated in German. I was like, <laughs> crap. <laughs> nah, not ever again. So basically, I changed the whole navigation because I knew that the German words wouldn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was also working on an interface that was going to be translated in Chinese. So basically, the first thing I did was trying to find a font, so a web font that was uh, going to have all the Chinese characters I was going to be needing. So this is another thing as well, like where I really try to make my clients understand that the sooner I know that there's going to be other languages, the better it's going to be for the project because you are not going to make the same design decision if you know somebody is going to be translated in many languages and in languages uh, not Europeans one like Chinese where you don't write the same way right to left or left to right yeah. things like that yeah right have you looked into uh much about the uh, uh Jen Simmons I think is doing a lot of talks about this at the moment but looking at the writing direction that they're bringing mm, in with that's... CSS uh, not really. Mm -mm. There's some nice um, – the way that Flexbox has been designed, um, there's no sort of left and right anymore. It's not like a line left and uh, a line yeah. right. It's a line start and uh, a line ends or like there's lots of starts and ends instead of lefts and rights. And when you look at it from a holistic approach, when you sort of combine the CSS grid and Flexbox and – the, the writing directions, I think it's called writing directions, um, it kind of, they all fit in quite nicely because then as soon as you change the writing direction to be like if you were going like Arabic where it's um, right to left or like you said Chinese which is, is it top, uh, bottom to top and right to left? I'm not quite sure. It, I don't speak Chinese so... <laughs> Next time, no, sure. uh, but, yeah. but uh, basically, when you when you apply the the styling of just saying this is how it needs to be rendered, um, all of a sudden because everything has been set start and ends, uh, it will just sort of change a lot more simply than it than we have at the moment. It looks really cool. It looks very cool. Um, but so in terms of, uh, I know that you used to do a little bit of mobile stuff as well like on your site you talk about um like designing for for mobile as well and yeah recently uh like a couple of months ago uh there was an article which i saw pop up which sort of got me a little bit annoyed but i, I could kind of see their point but um, it was kind of annoying uh it was called it was an article and i think it was mobile mobile moments when they were saying that when people are on mobile, you have to design a different context and you have to design a different experience because when people are on mobile devices, they don't need as much information or they want to make decisions quickly or they have a different state of mind. I was wondering, have you, in all your experience and, and working, have you found that at all? Like how have you found the difference between sort of mobile and desktop and tablet? Or is there a difference? Should there be? 
I wasn't like able to do a lot of mobile UX research in my previous agency. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do more of that uh, with the students and at the university. But what I've seen is that the, there's this myth that mobile users are like they need things quickly, they need less things. But basically, uh, if you really look at what mobile users are going to be doing, today, many, many people around the world use mobile devices as their primary access to the web. So if you say, yeah, those are mobile users, they need less content, they don't need all the future features, well, you are going to actually deprive a huge part of your potential target from some of your features. So I think it would be nonsense to say, yeah, nobody is going to use that on, on mobile. We are going to remove the functionality unless you've done like really, really heavy user testing, user research to make really sure. Um, even then, um, if something is useless to some users on mobile, maybe you might want to test it and make sure it's actually useful to users on big, bigger screens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and wait, sorry. Yeah, uh, there was, I think it was like a few years ago, I remember an article on Smashing Magazine, which was about creating adaptive systems, which was really interesting because the person was uh, more talking about um, how we could use those mobile phones to target a better user experience, not only based on screen size, but for instance, on the context. Like if your user is somewhere, um, geolocation, stuff like that. Yeah, sure, maybe they need something else. So I don't see why we couldn't imagine, for instance, um, I don't know, e-commerce websites that would be a responsive one that would be able to detect your geolocation and give you extra information if they see that you are next to a store. So this would be, I guess, a really interesting thing to do, designing in context, yeah. but not like removing things, more like using those mobile sensors to... Uh, I don't really like the idea of spying on users. <laughs> but the good thing is that on the web, you have to actually allow <laughs> your browser to spy on you. So you, you've got a choice. Uh, you can say, no, I don't want you to be able to geolocate me. Or you can say, yeah, sure, you're, uh, I don't know, uh, do you have H&M in your country? Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, there's a lot of um, online e-commerce websites like those ones. And you can say something like, hey, if I'm really close to one of those stores, maybe I want to get, some, I don't know, coupons or stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we talked. Uh, I've talked to people in the past about those, uh, like the little Bluetooth emitters, like um, the beacons. Uh, yeah, the little beacons to sort of announce when you're when you're nearby. But of course, like I I work on um, Tottenham Court Road in in London, which is a near Oxford Street, which is very busy and very shoppy. And I can just imagine like how how much your phone would warm up if every store had a beacon. That they were trying to push out. So it's like you said, it's a fine balance between like allowing websites to have access to those things um, and 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 being overwhelmed. But did you see uh, what 
uh, Uber were doing around uh, one of the things that you can access is the battery API. Did, did mm. you see what Uber had done? On a native application or on mobile website? Uh, you know, that's a good point. I'm not sure. It might have been the native application. Yeah, because I think the... I wrote about battery uh, API. Um, the article it took one month to get on uh, on the website, and after one month, uh, somebody told me, "Yeah, you know, this is already depressed. <laughs> it doesn't really exist anymore." Like, ah, come on! I took a look one month ago, and it was existing. <laughs> Stop, <laughs> please. Stop changing so the I'm web. Quite, yeah, so I'm not quite sure if the battery API is still available on the web, but I think you can still do things on native apps. So it might have been native apps. Yeah, and I because I looked it up as well, and I I think on uh, I'll just do some amazing uh, radio. Can I use looking up? Um, but I remember looking up, and I saw the battery API was still supported by a few browsers. And I was really surprised. Yes, yeah, so Battery Status API, it's not in Edge uh, or IE, but it's still supported in Chrome, yeah. Firefox, Opera, Safari doesn't support it at all. Um, but for the, for the listeners that um, weren't aware of what Uber were doing, they were... They, they... Oh, was it with the, the price? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I read something like that. So they were, they were hiking the price of their, um, their fees up by by more than sort of three times the the usual rate because if they worked out that people's batteries were about to die, they didn't care what they paid. They just wanted their Uber service. So they realized that and started just charging people more, which is like from a business point of view is very intelligent and very shrewd. Um, but just from being a nice, like taking advantage of people, that's horrific. Anyway... Hopefully, yeah, but it's it's always like don't be evil, but eventually somebody's gonna take the decision and say, yeah, you know, this is borderline, but we're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna run. We we'll wait before until people complain about it. It's no, like, it's like pop-ups with um with like subscribe to our newsletter or sign up for this when you first get onto a site. Yeah, you know, it's like it, nothing frust- well, almost nothing frustrates me more online than than those pop-ups like subscribe do, are you liking our content? Subscribe now before you've had a chance to read it. But the argument for people that put it up there is that it works. And they get way more newsletter sign-ups and people are signing up, but it's like just because it works it doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. Super frustrating. Um but that's interesting about providing more things for people on mobile if if you detect that they're near somewhere like geolocated, like give them a bit extra because the stores. I like that idea. I very much like that. I, 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 I must be one of the good people because I was talking in an article about detecting users' battery and proposing um, better experience like if the battery is almost dead, don't put all of those crazy G. PU animation, maybe provide a static map instead of a Google map with a lot of JavaScript. So I was like, okay, if the battery is almost dead, try to not drain it. Yeah, try and be helpful. Yeah. I, and I must be. Yeah. Well, it was the, uh, the good side for the moment. I saw the same uh, kind of input where you 
check to see if the battery is over like a certain like over 20% say and then only if it's over 20% then you load in um, you add a, a class to the the body tag to say um, battery okay or animate and then all your animations that like you said that are GPU heavy or your maps and yeah. stuff then you load those in um, afterwards once you've found out that um, you're not going to drain people's battery i'm with you i only i can only think of positive <laughs> things and better experiences yeah, for people not, nice guys. <laughs> how, how can we how can we screw them for more money um now i do i want to ask you a bit about um one of your talks but before we get onto that i'll just mention our sponsors uh this week we have two which is one is the svg summit so this is an environment for humans uh, event and it's an online, an all online event. And so there's six talks, and the SVG Summit is on. Oh, I wrote this down before and now it's missing. The SVG Summit is on the 15th of February at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or 9 a.m. Central Standard, they're U.S. times. Um, but you can use the code RWD Weekly and you'll get a cool 20% off which is very good. Uh, and they've got speakers like Sarah Drasner and Chris Coyer and Dudley Story and three others that are just, they're very smart with SVG and SVG's here and you should be using it definitely. And are you using SVG's at the moment, Stephanie? Are you a big SVG? Yeah, I was playing with SVG and we did a really fun, uh, <laughs> this is a fun story actually. We were we did a website for Microsoft that was supposed to tell people that Edge isn't such a bad browser. They were supposed to like talk, um, yeah, talk um, the developers how to do the web things in a modern way. And we had this crazy idea of an SVG animated robot, and it worked everywhere except on Edge. Oh, no. <laughs> Which was okay. It That's was such funny. a shame. Uh, when did when was that? It was, I think, it was a year ago. Oh. So we told them, no, you have to go and push a little bit the Edge uh, team, so that when the website is out. <laughs> The edge animation is going to work, but yeah. I don't think I don't have a Windows computer, so I didn't test it in a while. <laughs> and is it still? Is that website still up and around, or that work still available? Yeah, I think so, but I don't remember the URL. Uh, well, <laughs> if you no, if you can find it, shoot it through and put it in the um the show notes. I was going to say if yeah, um, there's there's two very responsive, uh, not in terms of like stretchy. Um, but in terms of getting back to you, um, Aaron Gustafson and Christian Harman, who are now sort of uh, Microsoft uh, evangelists, I suppose the the dev evangelists. Um, I'm sure if you if you just shoot shot one of them a tweet, they would they would definitely help out and try and get that going. Uh, although it was it was a while ago, um, but definitely. So if you if you are around on the 15th, check out the SVG Summit. Uh, and the good thing is it's an online conference, so you can join from anywhere in the world. You don't have to pay for flights. You don't have to pay for hotels. Uh, they've got a chat room, so you can chat with the speakers. Um, 
I'm going to set it up in the boardroom at work and just sort of sit in there and, and watch it as the day as the day unfolds. So that's the first one. The second one is ImageCon, which is an image conference, and that is happening on the 1st of March in San Francisco. So we've got this problem with the web at the moment where images are just being bloated and large and making our web pages slow. Uh, and there's tons of different ways that we can make things better. And that's all kind of what this web, uh, this conference is about. And they've got speakers like Jason Grigsby from Cloud4. And he did this amazing series on responsive images last year. Uh, Alison McKnight from Etsy. And we all know Etsy, uh, I mean, their site is pretty much all images and they're, they're selling things. It's e-commerce. It's heavily image-focused. It's got to be fast for them to sell. So she's going to have some great stuff to say. Uh, Vidaly from Smashing Magazine. Uh, Steve Sorders from just making websites fast. He's written the book on it, literally. Uh, so that's going to be very cool. So you can go to imagecon.com and use the code RWDWeekly as well. And you get 50% off your ticket, which is very cool. But that's coming up fast in San Francisco. So thank you very much to SVG Summit and to ImageCon for sponsoring this week's podcast. Now, speaking of conferences, Stephanie, you spoke at a conference last year. You've spoken at a few. Uh, you've done a few talks. And one of them was Forget About Apps could the future be in the mobile browser? I was wondering, how close yeah. is that? How close are we to the future? It depends. What browser do you use? Well, actually, what phone do you use? So I have I have three phones in front of me at the moment. One is a borrowed Samsung uh, S5, I think it is, so that I can do some web VR stuff. And the other is a uh, the other two are iPhones. One is a six, yeah. and one is a five. How close to the future am I? I want to be bleeding edge. Well, <laughs> the issue is kind of the iPhone. I'm sorry. <sighs> so basically the idea is that, I don't know if you've heard about all the progressive web apps. I like progressive web apps. I like the yeah. idea of them. So basically for those who didn't don't already know about this, the idea is to be able to enhance a responsive website into um, a progressive web app. So users will be able to kind of install those on the home screen by just clicking on the Add to Home Screen button. So this works actually pretty well in most browsers, and it works on iOS. It even works on um, Microsoft Edge on Windows 10, I guess, now on the mobile phones. So being able to add a website to the home screen is like the basic requirement that works everywhere. Um, after that, there's a few things you can do to enhance those, um, among which being able to use notification, offline supports. And the issue with that is that it needs to support service workers, and those are not supported yet in iOS. <sighs> the, yeah. So that's the big issue. The other one is uh, Web Manifest, which is a little JSON file. The browser is going to be able to recognize with a lot of information in those. Um, that as well, it's pretty well supported on Chrome, also Opera and Firefox. I'm not quite sure about Edge. I would need to check this out on Can I Use? But again, iOS uh, doesn't support this for the moment. So I was kind of a little bit frustrated because it felt like I was doing a big like 
Android advertisement, which I didn't want to do. <laughs> but you have to say that actually most of the thing I was showing would only work for the moment on Android. But the cool thing is that it's progressive announcements. So you could build a website. It would work like a website on iOS. You will be able to add it to your home screen. And then on Android, you will be able to have all the extra plus functions like notifications, like offline supports. So if you're smart and you build this in a progressive way, this could work pretty fine. That's well cool. And the annoying thing with iOS is that even though you can get Chrome and Firefox and Opera for it, it still, I think from my understanding, it still uses the underlying Safari WebKit browser which means that you you don't don't get that stuff that would usually ship no. with, with chrome okay. uh, the funny thing is actually uh, there's another thing google is doing which is called the physical web so the idea would be you would have uh, beacons around you broadcasting urls and um, that would actually worked on chrome ios before working on android chrome <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't use the web view. It uses the um, the engine around it. So. so it finds a way around it. Yeah, because I was trying it last year in a conference and we were into the speaker room with another speaker. and was like, oh, okay, you've got an Android phone. Let me check that on that. And he wasn't able to make it work on my Android <laughs> phone, but it was working really fun on his iOS phone. So he was really frustrated, like, oh, this is supposed to be a Google thing and it only works on iOS. So, hmm. so when we talk about um, it being progressive, so you could build this stuff and you could include service workers and manifests, which which turn it into a progressive web app, I suppose. Um, but it's not supported on on iOS. So if you wanted the app notifications and stuff, you would you would still have to build um, a native app and uh, and release that through the the store as you normally hmm. would, but. When we talk about uh, progressive web apps, is there a difference between a progressive web app and a responsive website? Like, do you have a set of rules where that's more progressive web appy or that's more responsive website-y? Is there a difference? Where's the line? I don't know. <laughs> Basically, you can take any website, responsive website, Add this manifest file, make it work online, and you've got a progressive web app, in theory. Um, but if you take a look, there's this uh, progressive web app, pwa.rocks, I think, which is, yeah, pw.rocks, which is um, progressive web apps. It's kind of a repository of progressive web apps to show what people are doing with those. And if you take a look at those, those really look like more app things than responsive websites. So in theory, you could turn any website responsive one into a progressive web app. But at the moment, if you look at the demos, it's more like, um, there's the, where is it? There's a Pokedex. If you need the Pokemon thing, there's one for beer. There's also a little puzzle game. So it depends what you want to do. Yeah, that that's one of the things that I, I quite enjoyed. Um, so you, 
one of the things that I noticed is that you don't always have to make the website itself a progressive web app, I suppose, and and make the website itself offline. Um, did you, did you ever see what the Guardian uh, the yeah. Guardian newspaper did for their offline? Oh no, not the Guardian. The, I saw what um, I think it was the Washington Post who did something really really progressive web up ish. But yeah. not a, I don't know. They the the Washington Post, I believe they they extended it even further, where they um, they were really pushing hard on AMP pages. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to AMP pages, but they were pushing really hard on AMP pages, and there's a little tag that you can include as part of your AMP pages, which is an AMP service worker, which would allow you to install a service worker through an AMP page. So that when you go back to revisit the Washington Post site, you actually get the offline version if you're offline because through the AMP version of the site, it loaded the service worker and then the service worker loaded the progressive web app version of the Washington Post, which actually is available offline, which is that yeah. that I thought was really cool. Um, the Guardian, what they did is that uh, because I think one of the other requirements is that you must be running on HTTPS uh, for the service worker to run and that um, they only had their tech blog on HTTPS at this time. So if you visited the tech blog, the next time you visited that um, when you were offline, it would give you the Guardian crossword. So you could then go and do the crossword offline um, and then it would pop up with a notification to say you've got connection to the internet back again. Do you want to go read your articles or whatever the message would be? But you could still engage with the brand of The Guardian and, and Crossword is a massive thing with The Guardian. <laughs> so it's like that's really cool that that, um, that people don't just – you don't get the – you don't have to play the dinosaur game every time um, yeah. when things don't load. You can actually perhaps use your mind a little bit more with a Crossword. So that was a that was a good approach. But so um, when I mentioned uh, so I mentioned AMP pages. Have you had to deal with AMP, the accelerated mobile pages? Uh, I think we were wondering about it for a blog I was working with, but we read a lot of articles, kind of telling if you go AMP and you don't like it, you can go back. It's really really complicated apparently to remove AMP. So the um, the people I was working on didn't want to take the risk of not their users not liking the AMP experience, so they went full responsive. And I think uh, going progressive web app is the, is the next thing for them as well. So they've got HTTPS, and they should be to be uh, they should be able to do some nice things. So yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I've read a few things about it. <laughs> I think there's yeah I think there's uh, have you tried it on a blog or something yeah yeah and no, like uh, any kind of WordPress site if you a very popular blogging tool it, yeah there's a plugin for that yeah and it, and it just works really quickly so I mean to get really performant pages it's it's great uh, but I I think everything that it does in terms of how it serves pages and the things that it does to make itself really fast, we can do anyway. Like if you just build your site correctly in a progressive way smartly that where you don't load 50 megabytes worth of images 
and like you just you're smart about building it, then you will get the same kind of benefits. I mean, the only benefits that you won't get is the the only thing that it really offers. I think is that it's cached across all Google's servers, which is yeah. pretty good because Google doesn't go down, and they're they're everywhere. Um, so that round trip time is always going to be super fast. But yeah, I mean, there's different trade-offs. Um, when people visit the, an AMP page, it's not your domain they're visiting. It's the Google domain. It's your content hosted on the Google domain. So if that's a um, problem, then then that's going to be a problem for you. Um, you can have your own advertising platform, I guess. Once it's, it's on AMP, you don't have any advertisements anymore, I guess. Yeah, can you? well, they they were very clever. So I, I actually thought this was a, a like a super evil ploy for, for Google to <laughs> just control. I remember thinking... <laughs> I remember thinking Facebook had the same thing years ago when they uh, had Facebook pages. I was like, you're just trying to make the web Facebook. And I had that same fear that, that Google was trying to make the web AMP. Um, and, and I was surprised, but they actually, you do have to use an like an advertising tag specific for AMP, but they've got a, quite a few different ad providers on that. So it's of course, they've got Google uh, AdSense or AdWords, which Ad, AdSense, um, but there is a ton of other platforms out there that are non-Google specific advertising okay. platforms. So I, I did when I saw that, I was like, "Hey, maybe they're not all evil. <laughs> they're less evil Probably than Uber, not. perhaps." Yeah, but it's kind of really, really crazy because I've, I'm also teaching at the University of Strasbourg and the issue with the AMP and the Facebook articles is that my students are no, not able, when I ask them the source of the article, they just tell me, yeah, Google, Facebook. Yeah. So they are kind of losing this, um, I don't know, the essence of the web, which is you've got blogs, you've got websites, you've got links and stuff like that. So most of my students know they browse on Facebook. They use they see those content on instant articles, yeah. and those don't have a URL, I guess. So this is another issue from a user experience point of view, and from a I don't know branding point of view, you don't have your brand there anymore. It's like when you ask people where they found the content, they are eventually going to tell you, yeah, on Facebook. So it's not your content anymore, like you said. It's like Facebook's content or Google's content. Yeah. This can be a little bit tricky, and that's why my client also didn't want to go all the M with all the M things because they really wanted to be able to have their own branding and their own identity. Yeah. Well, I, I think. I think. No, sorry, you go. Yeah, I've seen a lot of um, cooking blogs. That's where I was. <laughs> Really, really impressed. Like there must be a WordPress plugin for that because all of those little cooking and vegetarian dishes blogs, <laughs> they were all on AMP, and I was pretty sure that they didn't really have any like technical <laughs> skills. So I was like, yeah, there must be a WordPress plugin, and yes, there is definitely. Yeah, yeah, WordPress do well for that kind of thing. And, and I mean, they've got one for instant articles as well. Um, Medium is another one that, that kind of frustrates me as well. Like lots of people post, and, and I get it, like it's a it's a great platform, it's easy to use, it's it's beautiful, the, the typography is wonderful, it's got a good good sharing in like it's got a particular community that people go to. Um, but I mean, it, it's you're just 
marketing their their product and they own the content i suppose at any point they can just sort of switch it off um so i, I don't mind losing all my tweets or my facebook posts and stuff but i don't know blog blog posts and stuff that i write i think i don't know there's something it just feels like it should be on your own site and you should you should be to have control of it yourself like like your stephaniewalter.com site <laughs> I was asked why I wasn't on Medium. Actually, I am on Medium. I've got, I think, two articles, which is totally, they are totally sarcastic articles. <laughs> Basically, those two are just private jokes for friends. Nice. Yeah. Well, so but the other, I, as I say, for, for Medium articles, the other, I uh, I do, uh, I have one of, one of my sites on WordPress and I have a, a Medium plugin which as soon as you write an article on WordPress, it publishes to your blog, but then automatically publishes to Medium with a note at the bottom saying originally posted on blah. Um, so, and, and I like that approach of like you publish on your yeah, own site. Doesn't this make like duplicate content for Google and then you have to put all the canonical URLs and Medium is going to be the like main source on your blog is actually going to be the second. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose like that. that's a risk. I'm not sure how that works, but I, I would hope that because your blog is published first and from your blog, Medium is then published and there's a link on your... I'm not quite sure because you can't... I'm, I don't think you can go on Medium and tell this is the canonical URL mm. for this blog, your second. I'm pretty sure it's, I, I might have to check, but it's a good point though. I might look up, I might do a search, a very specific search for an article of mine and see where it, where it comes up. That is an excellent point. I'll, I'll, I'll look but that up. At least you post it on two different platforms. I had like our, um, I've got a lot of uh, bookmarks and I've got a tool to classify those. And last time I was looking for a bookmark, I clicked on basically the blog would sell me a um, HTTP error and the person took all of his blog posts offline, put them on Medium and didn't even bother doing like URL redirections and stuff like that. So yeah, I had to go back on Medium and try to find the article I originally bookmarked. That's so frustrating. <laughs> Which is kind of frustrating, yeah. Actually, so you um, you send out links each week. Um, it's like similar to the newsletter that, uh, like, there's some sort of design newsletter. Um, what what tools are you using to collect and and source your articles? Oh boy, I've got a Google Doc. I put my weekly links into a Google Docs, and then I copy paste those on my WordPress. Oh, that's all right. Which is really old school. Actually, I installed a plugin to um, compress my images because I used to also do this by hand. So go to a compression website, put the images online. So now I've got a plugin that automatically does this when I put the images on WordPress. It's going to do this for me, which is kind of great. That's perfect. I'm trying to have a better workflow slowly. The frustrating, another frustrating thing that I hate about Medium is the the URLs always change, so it always has a different hash on it. So there's always like the the normal URL, and then it has a hashtag at the end, and then it it 
it has a whole bunch of like other random characters and what that allows it to do is build up a social graph of of exactly who's sharing what and so they can sort of work out yeah where things are going viral and, and through who but it just means that every time i go to bookmark a medium article if i've bookmarked it before it won't tell me because it's going to be a different hash. So it bookmarks it as a completely different URL. First world problems, though, really. Those are <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um, I had another question around the uh, – so the the articles that you're uh, bookmarking and stuff at the moment, have you seen any trends – uh, and since you've been doing that in the articles that are coming out or trends that you're kind of that you're liking and trends that you're just disliking and and hating at the moment like design trends on blogs or more like on the content of the articles well just what what you're producing at the moment so the stuff that you're collecting you're collecting a whole bunch of um uh like just web and UI and UX design and mobile design, like when you consume loads of that stuff, I, I, I know personally like collecting a whole bunch of responsive stuff, I see the same kinds of articles coming up about certain things and there's some things that I like and some things that I dislike about, about the approaches. Yeah, I think there's more and more articles on Medium, which is kind of really, I don't know, depends if you like it or not, but... As you said, uh, we're seeing more and more of those. Usually I try to link the first article. So if it's on Medium and on the blog of the person, I'm going to link the blog of the person because I want to like give credit to the author, not to Medium. But there's also a lot of, I don't know, in the UX fields currently, a lot of really low level things, which is great for beginners. But I more and more scanning really quickly articles at the moment because everybody is like writing about the same things basically. Mm. So it's nice to go back to the basics. But I want more. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so if you had for more de- detailed if, article with like research and stuff like that. If you had a bit more time, what would you spend time on on uh, writing? If you could, if I could give you a whole week away from the university to uh, to learn something and write about it, what would you what would you jump into? Huh, no idea. <laughs> I would like to be able to play with SVG, I guess, because I haven't done a lot of coding lately and I'm kind of missing it a little bit so maybe something on svg responsive svg and svg animations and how to make those things work well together would be something really nice that would be quite cool you should totally go to this conference that's coming up it'll be great (laughs) (laughs) because i had this great idea i was creating some little cute i don't know creatures and they are basically composed of the same background and things like that so I wanted to do like a Mr. Potato generator in SVG for those. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be very, very cool. To do that, but <laughs> I saw something. So yeah, maybe I saw SVG s- a little bit. Yeah. I saw something really recently from, uh, I think, Unicravitz, which was a unicorn um, with Vue.js. And it was, you could, you could color the unicorn in lots of different 
colors. You couldn't put different pieces on it, but you know, you could probably work it the same way. It was using SVG as well. It looked kind of cool. I'll, I'll put, uh, I'll send a link across. Might be the start <laughs> of something. Um, yes. <laughs> and have you got any uh, any talks coming up? Anything that you're working on coming up soon for 2017? I'm going to be talking on Kung Fu in Montreal in March. So I'm going to talk about uh, Ionic apps. So <laughs> this is another thing we, we didn't really talk about, but hybrid apps. So Ionic is a framework based on AngularJS, JavaScript, and you can build native apps with this. And we built an iOS slash Android native app with that. And I'm going to be talking with my developers on how to build an Ionic app without using your mind, <laughs> because there's a lot of things uh, going on over there. And we wanted to give a, a few tips on how we work together, which is going to be, I think, really interesting. And I'm going to talk about perceived performance and how to cheat when you can't like optimize your website anymore how to use UX techniques and design techniques to make thing you're using um, think it's going faster even if it doesn't. That's really cool. What would be, because I love perceived performance stuff, What what's the, what's the I want to say the top one thing, but I, I really want to. What are the two things that, that won't give your talk away, will it? I'm sorry. Well, I said if I if you can, what would be the two top things that you would you would say you could do to cheat? Uh, to animations make... are actually a good way, like providing feedbacks with animations. If you, I don't know if you've got a to do list app and you add elements on the page, you can animate the elements arriving, and this will give you some extra seconds to actually build the element in JSON, in JavaScript, in PHP, whatever programming language you are using. So, animation, I think, are a really, really interesting tool to cheat. No, nice. Um, yeah. And also, like, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Which is like, do as if everything was going all right and only provide feedbacks when something is going wrong. This is actually what we did on our um, Ionic application. Uh, you could like tell the people that you were going to take care of something. So you would just press on a button and we would do as if everything was going on uh, all right. So when you press the button, you get this little, not, uh, this little icon uh, with the checkbox saying that this is okay. Um, only if you've got an issue with the network, then you get this, oh, no, sorry, we weren't able to send you uh, this one and you need to retry later. So we try to be like positive and only provide feedbacks when something went wrong. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's cheating <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. I remember when uh, I think Facebook did that where you would write a post uh, or, or a comment or an update, and it would just it would write it on the front end only, so you could see the update. And then a few seconds later, it might pop up with "There was a problem posting your post. Please try again." Like you didn't really post that straight away. <laughs> That's the same thing with uh, Signal, which is a messenger app. Um, I'm currently in Luxembourg, and I travel a lot by train, so sometimes my messages won't go. Um, on the network so what it does is the same thing basically it 
sent the messages and when something wasn't sent there's a few seconds after that you get this oh sorry this didn't go you need to retry it so that's well cool that is very mm -hmm. cool um okay th i think we've got to the end now unfortunately um but if people want to get in touch with you or follow you or read your stuff or see you speak um how do they do that um, I usually reply pretty quickly on Twitter. <laughs> so Walter Stephanie on Twitter or uh, stephaniewalter.fr for the moment, which is my website in French, but the blog is available in English as well. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for <laughs> <It's>, having me. <laughs> I mean, thank you for uh, translating translating the blog into English. It's um. I remember stumbling across it and hitting Google Translate to translate it and just reading it and going, you've, you've done a terrible job, <laughs> Google. Uh, and then I found the English version. I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is so much. Um, and, and those two conferences that um, that are coming up as well, one's in March? Yeah, one's in March in Kung Fu. And I don't know if I can speak about it yet, but I'm going to do something in Barcelona in October. Awesome. Well, if we if we can, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so thank you again uh, for staying up and joining us. That was really interesting. I, I've learned, I, I love learning new things and thank you for that. Um, thank you for everyone else for joining in this week. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed our first guest of 2017 as much as I did. Um, please write us up in the iTunes store or on Google. Actually, we're not on Google Play because I'm not from America's. Um, so we can't get in there. But if you're on Stitcher or uh, Upcast or any other podcasting listening tool, um, vote us up. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or any of those. You can follow us on Twitter at ResWebDes. And you can subscribe to our weekly updates at ResponsiveDesignWeekly.com. Uh, thanks again for the sponsors. Thank you one last time, Stephanie. And we will see or I will hear or... Yeah, hear you all next week. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>